Sometimes uh, when I've seen these surveys of what Christians would like to know more about, what they wonder about in their Christian life, always prayer is one of the top listed items. How can I how can I have a better prayer life? How can I pray more effectively? How do I understand what to pray for? How do I know, you know, what it is to pray with faith? How do I know what the right things to pray for are? Um, and so I think this is a topic that just affects all of us throughout our Christian life regularly. And so it's a really topic to get to get right and to understand correctly. We sit back and think about. Um, with God creating the universe, before there was any universe, we had God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in the Trinity existing eternally with love and fellowship and communication among the members of the Trinity forever. So God didn't need to create us. He didn't need us for fellowship or anything like that. But he created a world of great beauty and complexity, uh, uh, creation, and uh, an immense universe with stars millions of light years away and um, the incredible complexity of living things. Well, even then, God could just create a universe with great beauty that he would delight and enjoy, but not have a personal relationship with. Then he put us on the earth, human beings. Well, he didn't need to create us with the ability to talk to him, to relate to him. There are I don't think dogs and cats and elephants and crocodiles have any kind of relationship with God in terms of prayer or anything like that. So he can make creatures that are interesting and they're wonderful, but they don't relate to him. But he created us with this amazing ability to relate to him personally, to talk to him in prayer, and he listens to us. And he listens to each one of us individually. It's really a remarkable thing. I was uh, just at home this morning um, before breakfast, having some just some time with the Lord in prayer, and just thinking, this is, this is amazing. The infinite God, eternal, omnipotent, you carry along, sustain the universe, you hold the stars in place, you sustain every, every created thing, you have infinite knowledge, you're omnipotent, infinitely powerful, you're everywhere in the universe, you need nothing, and yet you listen to me. And I can talk to you, individually, that is astounding. We may take it for granted, but it's, it's absolutely astounding that this great God, the creator of the heavens and earth, that you can talk to little you, little me. We can talk to him personally. And he listens to us, and he cares. And we spend more time with him. He delights in that. It's amazing. 
it's pleasing to him. So it, it, it really is true, I think, that the, the doctrine of prayer is one of the most amazing, amazing things. In the, but the Bible is filled with God relating to people in this way, and people talking to God from the very beginning in the Garden of Eden. There we have Adam and Eve in fellowship with God and talking with him. So why does God want us to pray? Um, I don't think uh, that uh, it's because he needs us in any way, but I think he created us so that we would relate to him. And there are some things that prayer then accomplishes. There are some purposes that it fulfills. So, number one, prayer expresses our trust in God. I don't think we pray so that God can find out what we need because Jesus says, don't be like them. Your, Matthew 6, 8, your father knows what you need before you ask him. So it isn't so God can find out what we need, uh, but rather prayer expresses our trust or faith in God. And Matthew 21, 22 is just one of dozens of verses that talk about people trusting God or believing God. And prayer is... Uh, a way of expressing our faith in God. Matthew 21, 22, whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. There's a connection. Faith is often, often mentioned in connection with prayer. <clears throat> Why is that important? I think, I think because God delights in being trusted. God delights in being trusted when we trust him which is another way of saying when we have faith in him, when we trust him for a need, for caring for us, for doing right in a situation, when we trust him, then he's pleased. It's a way of honoring him. It's a way of saying, Lord, I think you are good, you are wise, you are powerful, you will do what is right. Trusting him is pleasing to him. And prayer is a way of expressing our trust in God, our faith in God. Uh, related to that is that prayer expresses our dependence on God as a loving and wise father. <clears throat> so, <clears throat> Matthew 6, 9, we are to relate to God as father in prayer. Jesus, pray like this, our father in heaven. Our father in heaven. Um, so, if you've had a good father or a good relationship with your father, um, then you have somewhat of a sense of what it is to come to your father with requests or with trusting in him. If you have not had a good father, by contrast, you know what a good father would be like. It would be someone who would care for you and be wise when you come to him. So pray then like this, our father in heaven. Or here in Luke 11, Jesus talks about the fact that God is a good father uh, who gives us good gifts. So what father among you, if his son asks him for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? And these are things that would be harmful to the child, of course. The serpent's going to bite him. The scorpion's going to sting him. And Jesus said, well, even her father won't do that. Well, then, if you then who are evil, that, that is, you, even you, 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 you aren't perfect. Not, you've got sin in your hearts. But if you are evil... You know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? It's this idea of God as the Father. We should picture him as someone who, when we ask, he will give us good things, and particularly the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives.
Um, and uh, again, our dependence, whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith, Matthew 21, 22. We'll talk more about that later. So that's, that's another thing, that, that prayer expresses our dependence on God. And God, I think, delights in hearing us say, Lord, I depend on you, I trust you. And number three, prayer brings us into deeper fellowship with God. Well, that's true, isn't it? I, I really think that that's, that's one of the reasons that God has set up the world to work in such a way that we can pray. And he likes it when we pray to him, he delights in it, because it, it brings us into fellowship with him. I, I, uh, there's a book on prayer called The God Who Hears by a man named Bing Hunter, who taught with me at Trinity. And, um, and uh, in it, he tells the story of his son who wanted a new bicycle. And every day, his son was coming to him and showing him pictures of bikes and talking about the kind of bike, the color of the bike, the size of the bike, and what kind of bike they were going to get. And, uh, and then, after a couple weeks, they got the bike. And then his son wasn't coming and talking to him about the bike anymore. And he said, I kind of missed having him come and talk to me about the bike. The analogy is, God loves to have us come to him and speak with him, to talk with him, to relate to him. And so when he asks us to pray for things, uh, it's a way of relating to him. I heard a story of a pastor uh, in some, I don't know, it was in Indiana, Nebraska, Kansas, I don't know, one of those. Uh, and uh, he, uh, he, for some reason, he was in a new little church, and he just didn't have a lot of demands on his time. He said, I'm going to spend the whole morning, every morning, like 8 to 12, just in reading my Bible in prayer. That's all. And just wonderful times of blessing, four hours a morning. And this church just started to grow and take off, and it expanded and exploded. So he kind of cut it down to three hours. Then it grew some more, and he cut the time down to two hours. And it grew some more, and he cut it down to one hour, and it was getting shorter and shorter. And, and then one day, I heard him tell this story. He got a call from somebody he hardly knew at all from another part of the country. And the guy said, hello? And he said, yeah. He said, uh, Pastor, I, I, I'm not sure why I'm saying this, but I really think the Lord wants me to tell you something. And he said, what's that? And he said, I miss our times together. <laughs> and he just wept because he had fallen out of that time of fellowship with God. Prayer brings us into deeper fellowship with God. And with me, what happens, I find, is it takes me a few minutes to kind of settle and get the clutter out of my mind. Is that true with you? When you pray, I find that if I get some time aside and I have this one place, this one uh, chair that I sit in that I usually sit in to pray at home, and, and it takes five or ten minutes of just kind of being there. I'll, first, I, I'll get up and... Uh, get a cup of tea and then take it into this room in my office area and then I'll sit down and read a passage of the Bible and then I start to pray. And I have a notebook that has different pages. It has a page for Margaret, it has a page for each of our kids and you know, it has a number of you on the pages there. 
But before I start working through a list of people and things I pray for, I just sometimes read the passage of the Bible and then wait. And just kind of wait quietly in the Lord's presence, just thinking about that passage a little bit and just being still. And usually it's about five or ten minutes before my heart is at peace and I have a real sense of being in the Lord's presence. It's about five. I don't know why that is. It just and and how do you get how do you get out of all the extra stuff that comes to mind? Oh, I forgot to change the oil in the car. Well, I just keep a notepad there and it's to change oil. And I wrote it down. Then I forget about it. Okay. And then I wait and wait a minute. You didn't send that check to so and so. Oh, send check. Then I'm kind of quiet. Just be still. And then after all that clutter gets out of my mind, then there's a sense of peace. I don't know. A sense of awareness in the presence of God that comes over my heart. And then I can start to pray. But it's this number three. I think prayer brings us into deeper fellowship with God. And I think as we go on in the Christian life, that sense of being in the presence of the Lord that comes when we take quiet time of prayer, I think that that carries over into more of the day-by-day routine in our lives. So we have a sense of being in the presence of God when we're going to the ATN machine at Safeway and getting cash out, or when we're just uh, you know, getting gas at the, at the gas station, or, or seeing something on TV or visiting with a friend. And, uh, I think that that, that that growing in that sense of fellowship with God is part of the Christian life. But anyway, I think that prayer brings us into deeper fellowship with God. That's good for us, but I think God delights in that. He's pleased, pleased with it. And number four, prayer allows us to be involved in activities that are eternally significant. We pray for people and events, and, and lives are changed. And our fellowship group had a meeting just uh, last several days ago, and we kind of went through discussing how God had touched people's lives in various ways, in jobs and marriages and children things and a house thing and just a lot of different things. And lives are changed and put on a different track, and it affects people in many cases for eternity. So we pray for people uh, to recover. Well, prayed for Jerry from his heart surgery, and here he is sitting in the front row uh, and smiling. And I, I, um, I think we could multiply those. And uh, Margaret and I, I remember one time we were uh, we um, were standing in, kind of down in the front of a church that we went to in Illinois. We're kind of this part of the front. We were just talking with some people, and they were standing there holding the baby. And all of a sudden, it hit me, and I said, hey, you remember it was about a year ago that Margaret and I stood here with the two of you and prayed that you'd be able to have a baby? <laughs> and here's the baby! <laughs> and that's, that's really neat. God allows us to be involved in that. Does it make a difference when we pray for, for people and things like that? Does it? I really think it does if I Bible, because the Bible is full of where people prayed and it changed the course of events. So uh, here we do go to talk to B about the effectiveness of prayer. Prayer changes the way God acts. I just put that in really short, blunt form because I think I've found too many people denying that. I don't know how many times I've read in these different books or articles or things. The only benefit of prayer is for us. It changes our hearts. Brings us into alignment with God's purposes. 
It does that, but when you say it's the only thing, I just think you're not taking into account the fullness of what the Bible says about how there is a change in the way God acts in the world when people pray. Okay? Now, it isn't, I mean, technically people could object. It really isn't prayer that changes the way God, it's, it's we pray and then God himself changes the way he acts. I understand that, but... But, but I think an abbreviated way of saying this is prayer changes the way God acts. And I want to give you two or three examples from the Bible like that. So here, the first one is in Exodus 32, 9 to 14. Here we have, um, the Lord said to Moses, I've seen this people and behold, it's a stiff-necked people. <clears throat> he brought them out of Egypt. He brought them into the wilderness. He was taking care of them, but they kept rebelling. And they were, you know, making a golden calf, bowing down and worshiping it. And uh, the Lord says, it's a stiff-necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, in order that I may make a great nation of you. But Moses implored the Lord his God, implored. He just pleaded with God strongly pleaded and said, Oh Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? So he's appealing to God's past action in history. You've brought them out of Egypt. And then he says, he appeals to God's honor and reputation among the nations. He says, why should the Egyptians say, with evil intent did he bring them out to kill them in the mountains and consume them from the face of the earth? And then he pleads again. It says, Lord, please, Lord, please do this. Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. And then he appeals to God's own words. He says, remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, and all this land that I've promised I will give to your offspring, and they shall inherit it forever. So he's appealing to God's promises. And after Moses prayed, the next verse says, and the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. Now, I want to draw that on a timeline here, just so we get the picture in our minds. Here, I just simplified it. Here, God says, I'm going to destroy, will destroy this people. All right? Here's the timeline. And then something happened. Here's Moses. He's falling before God, and Moses prays. Moses prays, and then, after Moses prays, God says, will not destroy this people. So, from point A to point B, God changed in his present intention of what to do to his people. Did the people repent? People didn't change. The only thing that changed in the situation was that Moses prayed. And then God answered. 
Wait, is that is that making sense? I think it's put there to show us that God really does respond to prayers from his people. Here's another one. Luke 11, 9 to 10. And I tell you, ask and it will be given you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. See, there's do this and there will be a response. Uh, for everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Isn't that saying? If you ask, God will answer. That's the purpose of it. That's the point of it. Or 2 Chronicles 7.14, you've heard this verse. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. So there's more than just prayer. <clears throat> there, here it's humility and repentance as well. But then, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. doesn't say I'll do it if they don't. doesn't say I'll do it whether they pray or not. If they pray and humble them and repent. <clears throat> then I will hear. Or, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we ask, then there's an answer. James 4, 2, you do not have because you do not ask. I imagine that's true in some cases for all of us in our lives. And then James goes on to say, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly, spend it on your passions. So there's, how do we pray effectively? <clears throat> there's one more that I didn't um, put on the slide here, but if you have a Bible and you want to turn to Amos, it's another example. Amos 7, 1 to 6, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, if you want to look at it, I'll read it. Amos 7, this is what the Lord God showed me. Behold, he was forming locusts when the latter growth was beginning to sprout. Behold, it was the latter growth after the king's mowing when they had finished eating the grass of the land, I said, O oh Lord God, forgive, how can Jacob stay so small? So God is, is, is speaking to Amos, and he says, Amos, look, and he shows him some kind of vision, and all these locusts come and eat up all the grain, so the people are going to starve. And Amos cries out and says, Lord God, forgive, how can Jacob stand? And then it says, the Lord relented concerning this, it shall not be. So it's the same deal. God says, I'm going to do this, and Amos says, no, please, God, please don't, and then God relents, and he won't destroy the people. Oh, again, the Lord showed me he was calling for a judgment by fire, and it devoured the great deep and was eating up the land. Then I said, oh, Lord God, please cease. How can Jacob stand? He is so small. Verse 6, the Lord relented concerning this. This also shall not be, says the Lord. So the, again and again, the picture is people pray and God changes how he's acting in respect to the world. Okay, so now that raises questions. And I've seen some people kind of going like this, ready to raise hands. We can stop for a minute. Sandy, here comes the microphone. I'm coming back here. You were so per, um, persuasive, Wayne, um, a few weeks ago that I have become a happy evangelical Calvinist. And so in my mind, this raises the issue of God's sovereignty. And yep. I wonder if in that illustration on the board, I'm looking at that and I am visually putting a sort of umbrella of God's transcendent, yep. uh, eternal, yep. Uh, immutable yep. sovereignty over all of that so that um, because otherwise 
uh, and maybe it's just my split pea sized brain not able to understand what you're saying, but otherwise it sounds like God is vacillating in his intent and plans in response to whether or not we pray. And I doubt that that's what you're saying. <laughs> so tell me now, as a fellow happy evangelical Calvinist, how God's transcendent, eternal, mm -hmm. immutable sovereignty fits in all of I this. I think God planned, before the foundation of the world, I think God planned that Moses would pray and that he would answer. But Moses didn't know that. Okay? What Moses knew is he's supposed to pray. I think God planned before the foundation of the world that Amos would pray and that God would answer. But it was still real. I mean, this, this intercession of Moses is still real. And if you do not have, because you do not ask, it's true. And knock, asking you will receive. Knock and it will be opened. That, uh, God didn't set up the world to work in such a way that we have to pray for him to grant things. But he did. Uh, and then, I, yes, in his secret, unchangeable, eternal plan, yes, I think when I look back on all of it, I'll say that he planned it. But I don't know that. What I do know is if I pray, he answers, and if I don't, he won't. In shorthand. And there are all sorts of qualifications to that. About Sometimes I pray and I don't get answers and all that. But in general, the foundational truth is we pray and God answers. Does that, does that help? So God's answering. God's answering doesn't mean he. he um, you're talking about prayer so far exclusively as a petition yeah, kind of yeah, prayer. Yeah, there's more. Okay, there is so much more. Yeah. But um, I just I guard my heart against seeing God as the cosmic gumball machine yeah. in the sky, and yeah. I put in my little coin of it's never automatic. a prayer yeah. and out roll the goodies oh, yeah, help. in oh, response yeah. absolutely. to Absolutely, absolutely. But before I get to that, I want to say it's real. And, and over here, well, then you could say, well, this true that God, in his present intention, will destroy the people. And I think, yes, it's true, unless the situation changes. Here the situation changed. Moses prayed, and then God responded differently. So uh, if Moses had not prayed, I think God would have destroyed the people. He, he knew it, but, but it still was real. Now, now here's... Okay, I'll see. There's another question. Uh, Tom. Yeah, uh, the... The uh, statement that the uh, prayer changes the way God acts yeah. is the prayer for a person's salvation, the one which is the most important prayer, I think, uh, is that the one exception to this statement? Because the way I hear it, uh, your name is in the book from way on back, and there's nothing that you know people can do to change that, and it's not God looking in the future and seeing how somebody's going to favorably react in the future. Salvation one, the one to keep from being included in this statement? No. <laughs> no. Uh, because um, whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. So that uh, faith is necessary and prayer for forgiveness is an expression of that faith. So, real simple terms. If I'm not a Christian... And then I hear the gospel, 
And then I say, Lord Jesus, please forgive my sins. I trust you're dying on the cross for me. At that moment, it doesn't change God's eternal plan, but before I prayed that, God looked at me as a sinner worthy of hell. And once I pray, then he says, Wayne, now I look at you as forgiven. You weren't forgiven before. All that happened before was God planned that he was going to forgive you once you prayed. But it hadn't happened yet. Okay? The actual forgiveness, or what we call justification, where God says, Tom, you are not guilty in my eyes, that doesn't happen until we come to faith. Okay? And then God looks at us differently. And he does something differently. He gives us regeneration. The Holy Spirit makes us new creatures inside. That changes after we trust Christ. Okay? There's a difference between planning and happening. Now, way in the back, Phil. I have an ASB in front of me, and Amos, and I know that's what given by different groups of students. Yeah, they're it's but good, though. They're using changed. What? They're using changed as opposed to, oh, they have a little tiny footnote in there for relented. Yeah. Why would those scholars looking at those translations and texts put in changed? Because this is a pretty widely read deal, and yeah. that word changed looks pretty I'm happy intimidating. Yeah, I'm happy with that, too. What it's talking about is not eternal plan, but present action or present intention or present attitude. So right here, we're not talking about what God planned back here in eternity future. We're not talking about that. We're talking about present action and present attitude, and that changes. That changes. It relents. It it uh, it alters. I mean, whatever. All those things are true. His present action actually does change, and his present attitude does change once he forgives. Am I making sense? Wayne, I was going to just ask you a question. Obviously, God hears all prayer. Is it true to say that God only answers the prayer of the believer? And then also, wouldn't the simple response to this be that if you pray and it's in God's will, then it's going to be answered okay. in what God had planned? We're going to wait till next time to talk more about what God's will is because there are two senses of God's will, what he has planned forever and what is pleasing to him in, in the immediate event. But, um, and we're to pray for what is pleasing to him. But does God hear the prayers of unbelievers? Sometimes. But he hasn't promised to hear them like us to hear the prayers of believers. He sometimes, out of his grace, does. Okay, let us let me go on and see if we can do a little bit more before. Oh, John, go ahead. Uh, one question I wanted to raise was on the justification thing. Uh, in Romans 8.28, where there is a clear yeah. progression yeah. that you are going to be justified at yeah. some point because that was all foreordained. Yeah. And therefore, when you finally say you believe, it's because the Holy Spirit turned a switch on yep. inside you yep. and you're in. Yep. But it still happened. And you're not justified until it happens, until you respond. Okay, let's go on. What kind of prayer is most effective? What kind of prayer is God most pleased with? And this is going to take, this is a long kind of discussion, but I think it's really right at the heart of what we are wondering about when we pray. It seems to me, number one, a prayer that's most effective is prayer that interacts personally with God. 
Examples, Moses is one, where he pleads with God and he says, Lord, what about what the Egyptians say? Why did you bring us out? What about what your word said? Please, Lord, have mercy. He's interacting personally, and then God says, it will not. Or there's another one, Abraham. So 50 righteous within the city, will you sweep the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous who are in it? Genesis 18:24. And God says, okay, for the sake of 50 righteous, I won't destroy Sodom. And now what happens? Abraham says, behold, I've undertaken to speak to the Lord. I'm dust and ashes. Suppose five of the 50 are righteous. Will you destroy the whole city for lack of five? And he said, I will not destroy it if I find 45 there. And then he says, what about 40? And God says, okay, if there are 40 righteous, I won't destroy it. Abraham says 30. He's interacting with God in a very real way, isn't he? He's kind of negotiating. It's, on, it's incredible. What does that put there for? To tell us how we shouldn't pray? Say no. <laughs> no, it's not put there to tell us how we shouldn't pray. It's put there to tell us how we should, that there is a kind of interaction with God that occurs in prayer. And finally, bargains down to 20 and then to 10, and God says, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. And the Lord went his way. So, or Jacob. Here's Jacob wrestling with the angel. And, uh, and um, uh, in Genesis 32, and Jacob said, I will not let you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And then he said, you shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and men and have prevailed. And here he's, he's pleading with God, and, and he, won't, he won't walk away and go do something else. He's saying, no, I'm going to stay here, and I'm, I'm, I'm and this amazing thing with God taking the form of a human being and wrestling with Jacob. But then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. Why do you ask my name? And there he blessed them. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. There's a personal interaction with God and Jacob. There's, there are other examples. Here's another one. I think these are put here in the Bible to tell us what prayer is supposed to be like. Here's Hezekiah. He gets the, the message from the king of Assyria. I'm going to come and destroy the city. You think you're trusting in your God? Well, this city trusted in its God, and I destroyed that. That city trusted in its God. I destroyed that. What's your deal? What's your? Why do you think you're so safe? I'm going to come and wipe you off the face of the earth. And Hezekiah gets this threatening letter, and he knows he can't stand against this huge Assyrian army. What does he do? He received the letter from the hand of the messengers, and he read And Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. He's taking this letter, this threatening letter from this powerful king who could destroy him. He's spreading it before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord, the God of Israel, who are enthroned above the cherubim, you are, you are the God, you alone of all the kingdoms of the earth, you have made heaven and earth. And I think he's thinking, Lord, I'm just I'm saying this because I'm reaffirming this because I know that you are more powerful than the king of Assyria. And, and Sennacherib and the Rabshakeh, his, uh, his assistant who would come. And so uh, incline your ear, O Lord. He's pleading. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. Hear the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to mock the living God. He's crying out, Lord, please hear this. Truly, O Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste the other nations and their lands. And they've cast their gods into the fire, for they were not gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore, they were destroyed. So now, O Lord our God, save us, please, from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know you, O Lord, our God alone. Then Isaiah, the son of Amos, sent, here's the prophet, sending a message to the king, to Hezekiah, saying, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, your prayer to me about Sennacherib, king of Assyria, I have heard. There's a prayer that interacts personally with God, that pleads with him about details of events 
of life and here of nations. There's another one. Jesus, and why does the gospel record this prayer of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane? This crying out to God. I think to tell us in times of great distress and great need that we too can imitate Jesus in how we pray. And so Jesus went with him. He fell on his, uh, Jesus went with him to a place called Gethsemane. Sit here, he told his disciples, while I go over there and pray, Matthew 26, 36. And then he goes on, and going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. With Old Testament, it's the cup of the wrath of God that he's about to drink, to take into himself the full measure of the punishment that is due to our sins. Let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And again, he goes on and he comes and sees the disciples. He goes back and prays again. The second time he went away and prayed. And then in verse 44, he comes back the third time and prayed. And look, it says, saying the same words again. So I know there is such a thing as vain repetition in prayer, where Jesus criticizes some of these Jewish people who are just saying words over and over again, not meaning it. It was a meaningless chant. But I think there is an earnestness that comes when at times we're repeating, Oh, Lord. Help, oh Lord, help. Lord, we need you. We need you, Lord. And he's crying out, and here he's saying the same words again. And there's an intensification of his prayer. So there's a, there's a book, oh, published 100 years ago or so, by P.T. Forsyth, um, a British New Testament scholar. And uh, it's called The Soul of Prayer. And in it, I, I was by this sentence. He said, prayer is will against will. That is, he says, we come and we're seeking something from God. And we're asking that God would give us what we request. It's will, ours, against will, God's. And he said, sometimes God says no and we yield. Sometimes God says yes and he grants what we request. And sometimes God shows us as we pray that we should modify our request and ask something different, and then he grants that. But in each case, there's an asking and a waiting. If prayer were just saying words, it'd be like a radio broadcast or a tape recording. I mean, why do I sit with that notebook of a list of things and people to pray for each day? Why don't I just read it in a tape recorder and then play it back once a mor- one morning, you know, one, for every morning, so God can hear it again? It isn't just in my voice. It's me interacting personally with God, involving myself will against will. Not that we're opposing God, but we're asking. Another example that I've thought of is uh, different ways of asking people to come to dinner. Here are three ways of doing it. If I just kind of say, hey, Mike Langley, I hope sometime you can come to our house for dinner. I'm not even looking at him. I'm not interacting with him. He's sitting over here. And I'm just saying, it's, just a, it's like, God bless all the missionaries, Amen. That's kind of that kind of prayer. I'm not interacting at all. It's not that it's not prayer at all, but it's pretty thin prayer. Or, there's another one. I say, 
Hey, Mike, can you come to our house for dinner next Friday at 6? And I just walk away. I didn't even wait to see what his face expression was to say nothing about whether he said yes or not. That's kind of like just saying a bunch of prayers real quick. It's okay. It's not that it's not prayer. But it's not really personal interaction, is it? But if I come over and I say, Mike, I've talked to Margaret. We'd love to have you to our house next Friday at 6 for dinner. Could you come? You'll be there. <laughs> so now I'm looking him in the eye, and I'm, and I'm, and I'm really interacting, as a, and I'm, and I'm waiting to see what he says. Okay. That's like Amos crying out, "Lord God, forgive! How can Jacob stand? He's so small." And the Lord relented and said, "It shall not be." That's like Moses crying out, saying, "Lord." Please forgive. What would the Egyptians say? Remember your promises. And the Lord said, it shall not be. That's a prayer that interacts personally with God. Is that, is that making sense? Now, that takes some time. And, and I know when I can see Mike in the flesh, and I, and, I see, and I hear with my physical ears his response, I know that I'm getting a response from him. And it's a little different because in interacting with God, there's more of a, an inner sense of what God is responding to us and not, and I think we grow in our ability to discern that, but it's very similar. Okay? So, note the personal interaction pictured in Hebrews 4.6. Let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. Let us draw near. Pros erkomai is to come close to, to approach. We draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive... And so, mercy and find grace to help. So it's this idea of there is a sense of coming into God's presence. We don't have to go to Jerusalem, but we have to take some time to let our hearts settle and realize we're coming into God's presence and then talk to him and pray and wait. So I would say during this next week, we're thinking about how can my prayer life improve? Here's one really simple thing. Just allow a little more time in a quiet place. Okay? I'll go to this one more note, and then, and then we'll quit. Uh, David McIntyre, this is probably the best book on prayer for me that I've ever read. It's called The Hidden Life of Prayer. It's a little tiny paperback book. David McIntyre, I used to require this for students uh, when I taught uh, at, at Trinity in the class that, was, that fit this. But um, He's, I have students read this, and I have them come back the next day, and I say, what, what struck you from it? And every time, somebody will say, you know the sentence that struck me was this, pray until you pray. What does that mean? What, does anybody know what that means? What does he mean, pray until you pray? Okay, I'm going to repeat that. Tammy says there's a rote kind of prayer. There's just saying things. And it's, and it's, it's not that you shouldn't pray that way. But then you know, there comes into an intimacy with God, a sense of God's presence. And I think it means stick at it until you reach that point. And then prayer becomes much more significant and much more real. Pray until you... That is, stick at it. Pray until you pray. And so why don't we... Any more questions on that? One more. Okay, let me pray. Okay, one. Okay, uh, Mary Jane. Okay, does that mean he changed his mind? 
not his eternal plan, but yes, he does change his way of acting moment by moment. Okay? He doesn't change his eternal plan, but he does change how he acts day moment by moment. And then how do you put the two together? <laughs> I think he planned that he would mind when we pray. Okay? Okay. Let's uh, let's pray here and then and then we'll be done. Lord, we've been talking about you and about how to relate to you. And in our hearts, Lord, I think all of us have a longing that we would know you better, that our walk with you would be closer, that our awareness of your presence would be deeper. So, Lord, um, would you give to each of us here this week just a desire to spend a little more time in your presence, uh, to wait before you, to be silent. I pray that you and your grace, Lord, that you and your mercy would come near to us and let us know your presence and help us to grow and to know you and to relate to you and to pray to you and to delight in deep fellowship with you. Amen. Now, as I'm praying, I'm just thinking, I'm not telling you you have to spend four hours in prayer, but if you've been spending five minutes, try 10 or 15. Okay? If you've been doing 15, try 20. Okay. Amen. Let's go. See you, see you next week. <laughs>